Hello, and welcome back to another episode of Search, Ponder, and Pray, a podcast where we strive to follow the Come Follow Me outline provided by the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, where we strive to become more dedicated disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ. I hope you're having a wonderful uh, week so far. Uh, if you're one of my Utah listeners, I hope this hectic weather hasn't been causing too many problems for you. Um, it's been a little bit interesting lately uh, with hot days and sun and rain. You were usually used to just having it hot and dry pretty much for the entirety of the summer. But um, we're very grateful for the rain that we're receiving. Alrighty, well, uh, this week, this, or this week, today, today we're going to be jumping over to chapter 23. You know, yesterday we kind of set up um, set up for this chapter, and this it's kind of just a continuation of what's happening in Paul's life. But before we get too far into it, Let's go ahead and get started with a word of prayer. Our dear Heavenly Father, we thank you so very much for this wonderful day. We thank you for the opportunity we have to study thy scriptures and to come closer to thee. Father, we ask thee to please guide our thoughts and our actions this day. Help us to learn thy word and to do those things that thou wouldst have us do. Bless us with thy spirit and with thy forgiveness that we might become clo- we might come closer to thee. And we pray for these things ever so humbly in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. All right. So, like I said, we're going to be in chapter 23. So let's go ahead and just get jump, jump right into it. It's going to be, again, very light on the, um, on the New Testament student manual I guess there is there is some here. Never mind. I was looking at the wrong chapter, <laughs> so there is there is quite a bit here that we can look at as we read through. So we'll we'll also be using that if you want to, if you're following along with us. So let's go ahead and start in verse one. And Paul, earnestly earnestly beholding the council, said, "Men and brethren, I have lived in all good conscience before God until this day." And the high priest Ananias commanded them that stood by him to smite him on the mouth. Then said Paul unto him. God shall smite thee, thou whited wall, for sittest thou to judge me after the law, and commandest me to be smitten contrary to the law? And then they stood by, said, Revilest thou God's high priest? Then said Paul, I wist not, brethren, that he was the high priest, for it is written, Thou shalt not speak evil of the ruler of thy people. But when Paul had received, perceived that the one part were Sadducees and the other Pharisees, he cried out in the council, Men and brethren, I am a Pharisee, the son of a Pharisee, of the hope of resurrection of the dead, I am, ca- I am called in question. And when he had so said, there arose dissension between the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and the multitude was divided. For the Sadducees say there is no resurrection, neither angel nor spirit, but the Pharisees confess both. And there arose a great cry, and the scribes that were of the Pharisees that were of the Pharisees, arose and strove, saying, We find no evil in this man. But if a spirit or an angel hath spoken to him, let us not fight against God. And when, the, and when there arose a great dissension, the chief captain, fearing lest Paul should have been pulled in pieces of them, commanded the soldiers to go down and take him by force among, from among them and bring him into the castle. All right, so this is a little tricky thing. We'll jump over and read the New Testament manual, what it says. Um, it kind of explains a little bit to us. It says, When Paul was brought before Jew- the Jewish council, the high priest ordered that Paul be struck in the face. 
This violated Jewish law, which protected accused persons from being punished until found guilty. Paul's angry response was not purposefully disrespectful to the high priest. He simply failed to recognize the high priest, because perhaps because he'd been away from Jerusalem for so long. When he realized that he had reviled the high priest, Paul immediately expressed deference to the office, if not the man. Realizing that the council was composed of two factions, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, Paul cleverly turned the members of the council against one another by declaring that he was a Pharisee and believed in the resurrection. The Pharisees on the council then defended Paul against the Sadducees who did not believe in the resurrection. So, (laughs) this... Um, perhaps you have sat in a Relief Society lesson or an Elders Quorum meeting or any kind of, you know, gospel, uh, uh, gospel doctrine or whatever the class may be in church where you know, you, you know for certain that this topic that's going to be discussed is going to cause division in the church. It's going to cause division in your ward or in your, in your friends or families or whatever it is. There, there is a split and a, and a sure divide. And there shouldn't be, really, because the, the gospel is the gospel, and we should all be united in Christ. But that doesn't keep people from having their own opinions on certain things, and oftentimes it does lead to this issue. And Paul uses this to his his benefit by saying, oh, you know, I'm, I'm with these guys. And it causes, he cleverly eludes the whole, the whole issue. Um... And so then he doesn't. He's, he's pulled away and brought back to where he where he kind of began, um, and that's one thing I think we need to be aware of is that you know we don't want to be agreeable just to avoid contention, um, but we shouldn't be contentious just to be contentious either. There is always a balance in things, but as we see here, this contention that was constantly there made the council fragile, made it susceptible to being. In, in, inoperable. <laughs> they weren't able to proceed with a trial of Paul because they were so busy arguing over this fact. Um, something that, you know, we should always strive to steer clear of as we study and we, and we do what we can to learn um, and in our, in our meetings in church. Verse 11, And the night following the Lord, the Lord stood by him and said, Be of good cheer, Paul, for thou hast testified of me in Jerusalem. So must thou bear witness also at Rome. So if we jump back to the, Old, to the New Testament student manual, um, it says that fearing that Paul would be pulled in pieces by the angry multitude, the chief captain took Paul into protective custody. While Paul was being detained by the Roman soldiers, the resurrected Savior visited him and assured him that he would live to bear his testimony in Rome. Elder Bruce R. McConkie of the Quorum of the Twelve Apostles discussed this visit. He says, quote, in, this perse- in his persecuted and, strained and straitened state, Paul needed comfort and assurance from on high. How shall such be given? The Lord could have sent an angel. He could have spoken by the power of the Holy Spirit to the Spirit within Paul. Or he could have opened the heavens and let him see again the wonders of eternity. But this time... Thanks to his valiant service, his unwearying devotion, his willingness to suffer even unto death in the cause of Christ. This time, Paul was blessed with the personal ministrations of the Lord of Heaven himself. 
Jesus stood at his side without question. Without question, much was said and much transpired, of which there has been preserved to us only the promise that the Lord's special apostle should, bear, should yet bear witness of the Master in Rome. And this is something that Paul is kind of enduring as he goes through all of this, is he's he knows very well, especially having come from this that side of the of the game, you know, he knows very well what can and will in a sense happen to him um, if he continues to stand fast in his testimony. And yet, like we talked about yesterday, he's fully come into himself as Paul now, and he's no longer afraid of what can happen to his mortal body. He doesn't fear the councils. Sure, he might turn them against each other, and he might use his wit to elude any punishments that he can, but that doesn't mean he fears what can happen to him. So as we continue on in verse 12, And when it was a day, certain of the Jews banded together and bound themselves under a curse, saying that they would neither eat nor drink till they had killed Paul. And they were more... And there were more than 40 which had made this conspiracy. So right here we see, once again, you know, the secret combinations, those, um, this agenda, as we, as we might call it in, in today's vernacular, this agenda or this conspiracy or this plot um, that has been created by these individuals outside of um, any law or proper channel or anything they have decided that this is going to be the the final outcome and we are all going to be in on it and we are all going to promise and swear to each other that we will that we will move forward in this way regardless of the cost anytime that kind of happens for the detriment of another human being and more especially outside of the confines of the priesthood and god it does fall under this um, this label that's, that's given here in the in the New Testament as a curse. That is a curse that you've laid upon yourself, because not only have you now labeled yourself as a conspirator, but you are also labeled and, and set forth as one who is willing to make deals and, and do evil deeds in the dark. Is the atonement applicable to you? Yes, it can be. But oftentimes, when you've reached this point, you're in a you're in a bad way. So let's go to verse fourteen. And they came to the chief priests and elders and said, "We have bound ourselves under a great curse that we will eat nothing until we that we will eat nothing until we have slain Paul. Now, therefore, ye with the council signified to the chief captain that he bring him down unto you tomorrow, as though ye would inquire something more perfectly concerning him, and we." or ever we come near, are ready to kill him. So now the plot is just, you know, thickening and getting worse um, to where now they're saying, well, you know, he's kept away from us. He's locked away in the Roman stronghold. Tell the Romans, you just want to talk to him. It's not anything, you know, they're, they're promising. We, you won't even be involved in this. Tell him we they just we just want to talk to him. That you just want to talk to him. You have a question for him. And as he's on his way down, as the interchange is happening between the Romans and the Jews, we'll be close by and we will uh we'll be sure to make sure that our oaths are fulfilled. 
If we look at the New Testament student manual, it says a group of Jews bound themselves under a curse, saying that they would neither eat nor drink till they had killed Paul. This conspiracy was similar to the secret combinations described in the Book of Mormon. Secret combinations work under a cloak of secrecy and are characterized by formal oath-making, threats of violence, including murder and plunder, and the seeking of gain and power. So right there, that is, I think, probably one of the most um, straightforward uh, definitions you will find of um, of a secret combination or um, conspiracy. And so I would ask that as we go about our lives, you know, if we if we find these kind of things happening, and we find individuals who are undertaking and and doing these types of things, it would probably probably be in our best interest to distance ourselves from those individuals. This description right here is one that I think that we would do well to have on hand in some ways, not necessarily physically, but you know. Um, to have with us in our in our hearts so that we can use as a test for the things that are going on around us because in our world today there satan does have a great hold on the hearts of men and we see that in our in our daily lives and it is our duty to free those who are confined and trapped um, and led astray by the wiles of the devil. Now, how we do that, obviously we need to be guided and directed by the Spirit. But we need to make sure that we are not in any kind of conspiracy or secret combination ourselves. Are we a part of any group or do we give give support to any group that has asked us, under a cloak of secrecy, to formally make oaths, to enact threats of violence, including murder, plunder, so stealing, robbing, and seeking gain and power? Have we made deals with people to gain power, money, influence, position in ways that are not, that if, that I guess I should say, that if they were to be made open into the light, that if everyone could see, would we be comfortable with that? And if not, Perhaps we should take pause and take it to the Lord, honestly and openly, so that we can choose the correct path and help others see the correct path. I don't imagine that we, any of us are, but these secret combinations are incredibly enticing. They are incredibly powerful. And they can be something that can snare just about anyone. And so I urge you with all caution, please be aware of what is going on around you. And beware of the secret combinations in our world today. All right, enough of the doom and gloom. Let's move on. So 
they're preparing to kill Paul. Back to the other doom and gloom, I guess. <laughs> um, verse 16. So they're, they're, they're saying these things. And, and in verse 16, And when Paul's sister's son heard of their lying in wait, he went and entered into the castle and told Paul. Then Paul called one of the centurions unto him and said, Bring this young man unto the chief captain, for he hath a certain thing to tell him. So he took him and brought him to the chief captain and said, Paul the prisoner called me, called me unto him and prayed me to bring this young man unto thee, who hath something to say unto thee. Then the chief captain took him by the hand, excuse me, and went with him aside privately and asked him, What is it? What, what is that thou hast to tell me? And he said, The Jews have agreed to desire thee that thou, sh that thou wouldst bring down Paul tomorrow into the council as though he would, as though they would inquire somewhat of him more perfectly. But do not thou yield unto them, for there, for there lie in wait for him of more than forty men, which have bound themselves with an oath that they will neither eat nor drink till they have killed him. And now are they ready, looking for a promise from thee. So the chief captain then let the young man depart, and charged him, See thou tell no man that thou hast showed these things to me. And he called unto him two centurions, saying, Make ready two hundred soldiers to go to Caesarea, and horsemen threescore and ten, and spearmen two hundred at the third hour of the night, and provide them beasts, that they may set Paul on, and bring him safe unto Felix the governor. And he wrote a letter after this manner, Claudius Lysias, unto the most excellent governor Felix, sendeth greeting. This man was taken of the Jews, and should have been killed of them. Then came I with an army, and rescued him, having understood that he was a Roman. And when I would that, and when I would have known the cause whereof they accused him, I brought him forth into their council, whom I perceived to be accused of questions of their law, but have nothing laid to his charge worthy of death or of bonds. And when it was told me how the Jews laid wait for the man, I sent straightway to thee, and gave commandment to his accusers, also to say before thee what they had against him. Farewell. So he writes this little letter. He repairs this giant group. They're all going to go together. He's going to go. To, they're going to go there, and he's going to say, "Okay." He's trying to play play against the Jews a little bit here. He's saying, "Well, you know, if you want to question him, you can you can go question him before Felix, the governor, in a large open arena." And that is one thing that oftentimes, um, you know, it, that secrets and darkness hate. It cannot endure the light. The light is a very good test as to whether or not something is good and of God. Of course, there are those those little things like, oh, well, Christmas secrets and, oh, we, you know, birthday presents and things like that. We don't want people to know, you know, secrets still here. That is very different. <laughs> that is very different from other things that we do in our lives where we think, mm, hope no one sees me. I hope no one finds out. Those moments where we look over our shoulders a little bit or we check to make sure the door is actually locked. And so the captain of the guard, he is bringing them into the light to prove once and for all what's really going on. So in verse 31, Then the soldiers, as it was commanded them, took Paul and brought him by night to Antipartus. 
Antipatris. On the morrow they left the horsemen to go with him and return to the castle, who then came to Caesarea and delivered the epistle to the governor, presented, presented Paul also before him. And when the governor had read the letter, he asked of what province he was. And when he understood that he was of Sicilia, I, I, I will hear thee, said he, when thine accusers are also come. And he commanded him to be kept in Herod's judgment hall. All right, so that is the end of 34. Um, so he's brought before Felix. And here we are on the next leg of the journey for, for Paul. That he's brought here now to testify before Rome, uh, before the Romans, and before the governor. And he's now he has the assurance that he will not be killed until he is he will he will be spared and at least until he is brought to bear testimony in in Rome itself. So I don't think he's in Rome just yet. He's just at the governor in the governor's house. Um and now he has that assurance from the Lord that all will be well. That he can that he can rest back on that and push forward knowing that whatever he says it's not necessarily going to be his immediate death. <laughs> so, but now he's kept somewhere safe. And he's kind of slowly working his way up, similar to the way that Joseph of Egypt kind of did. You know, he brought down the lowest of the low and slowly worked his way up. And I testify that that is one thing that the Lord is trying to tell us, I think, sometimes through these scriptures, through the stories we read, is that oftentimes we may be in the darkest pit. We may be in a very bad way, locked in prison, and knowing that when you go out, when you go out today, you're going to be killed. That's where he was. Knowing that he had offended the Jewish council in such a way that they were willing to let him be killed before he had a real trial. And then by a turn of events, and according to the Lord's timetable, he is blessed in ways that give him strength, that free him from his tribulations, and proceed toward a greater destiny. I testify that this is the Lord's work, and as we strive to do our part with full of faith, and as the scripture says, as we are still and watch for the hand of God, after all that we can do, we will see the arm of the Lord manifested in our lives. That is the truth of it. The Lord wants to bless us, and he will in his time. I testify that as we strive forward, we will feel the workings of the Lord in our lives. And I say these things ever so humbly, in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen.